Hello, and welcome to Fulcrum Transmissions, a Star Wars podcast. Thank you for joining us this week. Episodes will typically be uploaded every Monday, and any changes to that schedule will be posted on our Twitter at Fulcrum Pod and Instagram at Fulcrum Podcast. Be sure to follow us on either of those for previews and information about upcoming episodes. Hi, my name is Sage. I use she and they pronouns. You can find me on TikTok and at Twitter at Sage Sindula. Hi, my name is Claire and my pronouns are she, her. You can find me on TikTok at Claire Kenobi and on Twitter at Corky Kenobi. Today we are going to be talking about the Tempest Runner audio drama, so spoiler warning. Tempest Runner, so good. I was like when I heard that it was going to be an audio drama I was a little worried because I was like am I going to be able to follow it but it was actually surprisingly easy for me to follow um like ever it was easy for me to keep track of who was who and all the dialogue played out really well in a way that advanced the plot so I didn't feel like I was confused that there was too much happening that I couldn't see it was really easy to follow just as an audio format and then just the story itself was so good and Lorna I just, I just love her. Like she, I didn't think she could get any better. And then I listened to Tempest Runner and somehow I loved her even more after listening to it. And so overall, I just think it was really well done and it was really fun to like re-listen to. It's a really good thing to hear again. Cause I feel like there were a lot of things that I either just didn't pick up on or forgot about from my first time listening to it. So re-listening to it, there were so many little things. I was like, oh my God, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I was going in, I was a little bit worried for a majority of reasons. One, the same thing I was worried about being an audio drama, still a little upset that we don't have like a physical copy of the book like we did with like Dooku Jedi Lost. Yeah, I have like a love-hate relationships with audio dramas in general, but overall I thought it was really like well-made. The actors were fantastic um, and had never gotten confused as to who was speaking. Um and just like in general, the writing and the storytelling was really great. I loved how the point of view was structured. Um, I thought that was really interesting how we like started with two people telling a story and then like kind of flashing to what's actually happening. It was written in a way that made a lot of sense and that was um, just like fun and it kept the suspense going. Um, my other concern is probably something we're going to talk a lot about today, but I was a little concerned about having a almost fully female cast of characters being written by a man. That was a concern of mine going in. I really do trust Kevin Scott, though. Now listening to this audio drama and reading The, the Rowing Storm, Kevin Scott is one of the handful of male authors that I trust with female characters um I thought they were all very well developed and I didn't think that any like certain character had a a bad representation of women the cast of this book is mostly new characters like in flashbacks we do see some familiar characters like the other Tempest Runners Martian etc but a lot of the characters that Lauren is interacting with throughout the book and even in some of her own flashbacks are all new characters, but even just throughout this audio drama, I feel like I got a really good idea of the characters and I really loved all of, well, I mean, I didn't love all of them, but they were all well-written. Um, and the way that it was structured to how there were, fla- I like that it went between flashbacks and present day and switch perspectives. And I think it was really impressive how easy it was 
to follow that. Like I was never confused about whether something was a flashback or whether it was present and they could just kind of go back and forth. And I always knew where we were and who was speaking and what was taking place. I never felt confused about anything like that, which is just a testament to the writing and also the voice acting because you can hear the differences in like when Lorna is speaking when she's younger versus now because of everything that's happened in between that we get to hear in this um, audio drama. Yeah, and I also thought um, going in, I'm like personally not one to enjoy like backstories on villains. I'm very much a person who's like, I don't really care. They're just bad. That Lorna D is an exception to that. Um, absolutely. I am fascinated by her backstory. Um, everything that she has done, bad and good, make complete sense to me. I don't necessarily agree with it, obviously, but I understand. Um, and that's something that I was very surprised to find myself like thinking about because when I was going into it, I was like, yeah, Lorna D's hot and I'm going to enjoy it because she's hot. And then I actually like was getting into it and I was like, whoa, this is like a really good villain origin story. And I, it's believable. And I, I feel for Lorna um, and I can relate to a lot of the things that she thinks about people and like a lot of her life experiences I can understand why she is the way she is and something else that is very interesting is that a lot of the times and I don't think this is just me I think a lot of people felt this but you're really like rooting for her a lot of the not a lot of the audio drama you were you're really like like she'll kill someone and you're like okay, like that was bad. You killed someone, but also like, why am I like not like, like, why am I happy for you? You know, like why am like in particular, the scene where she kills Bala, um, that is a scene where I was like, wow, you just like murdered someone They had, like in cold blood, but I'm like happy that you did it. It was, it's a very strange mentality <laughs> that you're reading about in, or you're listening to throughout the whole thing. A really great thing here is a lot of times when we get backstories like this on villains that are not great backstories, it comes from a place of trying to justify bad things that they've done. But with this, it wasn't that. Like at no point was she doing something bad where I felt like, oh yeah, but like it's fine because of this, this, and this in her past. It wasn't a justification. It was just a reasoning and explanation for why her life turned out the way that it did. Um, which was really great to see because that's a thing that's often lacking with villains backstories and just like the way that she's such a ruthless villain um, is really really interesting to me like at no point are they trying to redeem her for anything or set her up for any kind of redemption she's truly just a villain and it's really good to have villains like that there's not always a need for a redemption or for villains to have redeeming qualities it's good to have a villain who is purely just a villain but also is interesting it's not just like out killing people for no reason with no purpose she has a purpose and she has a reason and we get to see a lot of that in tempest runner exactly there's there's like a a line early on in the audio drama where someone's like oh well like why like or I think she was talking to the woman who was interviewing her after she got um, taken in by the Jedi. 
Um, and she was kind of just like, why the woman was like, why don't, why did you turn your back on the galaxy? And Lorna's like, I didn't turn my back on the galaxy. I love the galaxy. It's full of riches and it's full of things that I can take. And that was like, you're like, whoa, like she has drive for something and it's bad. And she in no way is trying to make herself out to be a good person. Nobody in the audio drama, like, is trying to make her be a good person. There's a lot of characters who are saying like, I see the good in you. I see the good in you. And throughout the entire thing, Lorna is like, no, I'm I'm not a good person. I do all these things because I want it and I'm going to have it. Um, and we, we see the reasoning behind it, why she thinks the way that she does um, because of her life experiences. But in no way did Kevin Scott ever try and justify her actions. Another thing we see a lot in this book is something that we've seen throughout, but when we get something that is focused on her, we see it a lot more is how smart she is. Um, she has this really strong ability to play both sides of a situation which is really interesting to see especially when you get it from her perspective so you know that's what she's doing and like we see her do things like that even in light of the jedi she does it in rising storm she does it throughout the series but we see it a lot more in this because it is a story that is focused on her the one thing that obviously comes to mind is in her in the flashbacks with the Nihil where we see Kasov and Pan, um, there is the situation where they pull her aside and they're like, we need to get rid of Asgaro. We're going to like take him out. And she's like, oh, okay, that sounds great. And then she turns around and tells Asgaro and you're like, oh my God, she's going to like team up with him. And he's like, okay, thanks for telling me, but I don't care. Like I, I care, but I'm not going to like favor you we're not gonna like be a team because of this and she's like okay fine and and kills him and I like the whole that whole section of the flashbacks where it was covering that was making me feel insane and then she goes back to the other Tempest Runners and she's like yeah I killed him and they never know that she tried to double cross them she is very smart and she is out for herself and she doesn't feel any like she doesn't feel any allegiance or loyalty to people that she's worked with in the past like pan we know that pan is the one who like brought her into the nihil but then we see a situation like this where it's not like she's like oh i owe pan for this she's like nope this is what's going to benefit me and help me to be successful and me to gain power so that's what i'm going to do and whatever if the other tempest runners or asgara martian martian doesn't agree with that yeah she is truly just the essence of a girl boss and I can really respect that for her. A big part of this book, um, more in the subtext, and also sometimes explicitly stated, is like the concept of gender and the um, Lorna's oppression by men and how that has led her to be who she is now. Just a little, not to bring outside things into, into this, but I... I'm taking a uh, classical mythology course in school right now. And my professor, every time we read a story about a woman, my professors always says like, oh, dangerous and powerful women. They're dangerous and powerful women. And I'm always kind of like, yeah, true. Um, Mainly talking about like Circe. Um, You know, she's 
a dangerous and powerful witch. However, my like brain is kind of goes to this place where I'm like, yeah, they're dangerous. Lorna D is a dangerous person and also a powerful woman. But why, like, why is, why are those two grouped together? Is she really powerful and dangerous or is she dangerous because she is a woman who is powerful, you know? And like you said, Lorna D's very smart. She has always been smart. Even when we first see like her first flashbacks of her with her family. And she genuinely is like, I want to have more power and I want to bring wealth and prosperity to these people of mine, you know? And so she is saying, let's deal in spice. And her dad is like, no, like, that's not what we do. And she's like, but why not? Like, so who cares that it's, you know, not the most ethical thing, but everyone else is doing it and our people are starving and her father doesn't listen to her. And then there comes this man, Bala, and he says, I'm listening to you and I trust you and blah, blah, blah. And she puts all of her faith in this man who turns out to be completely manipulating her, you know, and it ends up backfiring. Her whole family dies. And then because of this man, Bala, she is sold into slavery. And then all of her identity is stripped from her. She has nothing left of Lorna D. And that is something that continuously happens throughout like the entire audio drama. You know, she changes her name three times. She has no sense of identity until she reclaims the name Lorna D. So yeah, she's dangerous and she's always been, because she's always been powerful. But the reason why she is the way she is, is because of all the horrible things that like people, specifically men who she has trusted, what they've done to her. And she reacted the way that, the only way that she knew how. Kind of like what we were talking about with Crick's last episode and how, you know, you're put into a situation, you do what you need to survive. And then you take on that persona that you have created for yourself. And it's not a good one. She's definitely a villain. She's ruthless. But it's interesting to see what led her there. A really, really big thing that you see. And you can see at each point of her life, the parallels between the different men who she finds herself sort of having to fight back against and who are trying to keep her in place or hold her back or anything like that. We also have this really interesting story here of her reclaiming her name throughout the novel. Like I definitely was screaming in the scene where she like finally names her ship the Lorna D and is like, I'm taking, cause I can't, I could never use this name cause I always had to be hiding and pretending to be someone else. So I'm now gonna use it for my ship. I felt insane in that moment. I was like, girl, I love you so much. And that whole theme throughout everything she's been through and every situation she's in, She's just struggling to get some sense of power or control over her life. And so to see her now in a place where she has that, even though it's from doing bad things and within a bad group of people, you still root for her to get there. And like at the end, I was genuinely happy for her when she's able to take her little um, new tempest that she forms and go to Martian and be like, I'm not just gonna go away. I'm still very much a part of the Nile. I have my own Tempest. 
who listen to me and respect me. And I was like, okay, yes, we love to see a girl boss winning. Yeah, the name thing throughout the whole audio drama is crazy. It's so just well written. And there's the specific part at the end of part five where Wittick is, (laughs) (laughs) where Wittick is like, tell me your name. Like, I know like this isn't you her she's going by Sal at this point she's like I know he's like I know this isn't you like you're you're still wearing your mask blah 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 and Lorna then something really crazy happens in the audio where she's hearing all of these names that she's been using throughout like the her life because she's had to use these names because of the identity that she had as Lorna D had been totally stripped from her. And every time she renamed herself and rebuilt her identity, someone else had to take, someone else took that away and replaced it with what they wanted her to be. You know, she became a a soldier. She went to military camp because of Aparancisis. He had good intentions, but like maybe let's not send a former slave to military camp. That's something he probably shouldn't have done. Um, bad judgment on on his part there. But you know what I mean? Like it's every time she has tried to rename herself and rebuild her life, someone has already taken that down. And then all these names are going through her head. And then she says, to Wittick, my name is Lorna D and I need your help. Lorna D is not going, Lorna D doesn't ask for help. And so when that happened, I was like, whoa, she's, this is her character growth. You know, she's trusting somebody and we all know how that goes. Um, So yeah. And then because of, because of Wittick and his betrayal to Lorna, you know, she is then remembers why she doesn't trust people. And um, you can, like you said, you can see these uh, familiarity in all of these men that she has put trust in, and then they have abused that, and she is left with nothing because of them until the end when she finally is like, I am putting my faith back in myself and builds herself up again as Lorna D. Yeah, that moment at the end where she has her one shot left and it kind of fades away and you're like oh my god did she shoot Wittig or so-? first of all I was so scared because I was like if she shot Sestin I might be passing away yeah <laughs> I would have cried um and then it cuts back and you find out that she killed Wittig and I was like again it's another thing with Bala it's like not to be like supporting murder but I I was kind of like okay you go girl like Wittig just his manipulation of her and again like with him being a man that she fully put her trust in and trusted her like more of her honest self with and then for him to turn out just to be kind of the same as everyone else was even more hurtful to to her so I yeah I was definitely kind of rooting for her in the end there when she killed him hate to say it but I don't believe in the glorification of murder, but I believe <laughs> in the empowerment of women. <laughs> exactly. That is, that is, ju- that is just Lauren. Like that, that just sums up how I feel about everything that she does. Except when it comes to Pan Ada, that I'm just fully like, yeah, murder was the <laughs> only option here. <laughs> God, I remember I was listening to the scene where 
she first comes face to face with him again and he's like literally dying and i'm like get this man an inhaler but and she like pushes him into the little pit or whatever and i was like okay thank god and i was listening to it while walking back to my dorm and that happened I was like oh my god and I like ran back to my room and I was like telling my roommate I was like and like this dude I hate pant and like he finally is dead and then like however long later he came back and I was like no (laughs) it was so frustrating I was like I just want to get rid of him I can't stand that man please pan Ada get away from Lorna D like Mm -hmm. get over it you kissed once Oh, sorry to bring that up, but traumatizing <laughs> experience of Pan Ada and Lorna D kissing on the mouth. Ugh, so it was so bad and evil, and I hate it so much. I have never been more relieved in my life when I found out that she actually just tricked him and sent him to die. I was so afraid that that was going to be a thing, and I was like, I can't do this. It's so upsetting. Yeah, let's talk about um, Sestin, our beloved. For a little bit she is she's something else <laughs> i love her so much um definitely at the end when i thought that lorna d killed her that is i had a moment of oh no this is awful like i was really worried and i was like please do not have like the woman who has been supporting lorna this entire time die at the hand of lorna that would have that would have turned me to the dark side. Actually, I, I, I would have been very angry. So glad that didn't happen. Um, yeah, and then I heard, you know, that she killed Wittek, and I was like, yes. <laughs> not to not to be like, yes, Lorna kill people, but also like, thank you for not killing my wife. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, that was an epic moment of just her trusting. She did trust Sestin, like, at the end. That was, like, why she didn't kill her. And that was a really great, like, moment for Lorna and for, like, and for me listening. I was, like, yeah, I, you can't, like, Lorna is a, a, she's able to trust people. And, you know, she finally put her faith in someone who didn't betray her, you know, who didn't end up being the absolute worst someone who happened to be a woman just putting that out there but you know that was a great moment for her I really enjoyed that ending yeah I agree I also love the moment where Sestin finds out who Lorna really is and how terrible of a person genuinely that she is and has this moment of like oh my god like I know we sort of talked and she vaguely was like trust me I have done bad things but it's just a really powerful moment when she's thinking about it and she's like this can't be the woman I know because the Lorna that she knows is so different from the Lorna that we see like leading the her tempest and like going up against Marcian Rowe and everything like that there are two very different sides of her that we see and Sestin has only seen that one side of her so that moment really that really hit me um And I'm just obsessed with the two of them. Something about Lorna's ability to like attract other girl bosses. Everything she, every time there's another character, like another female character around her, it's just some other girl boss and they just really vibe. And I'm like, I really, I really do love that about her. Kevin Scott has given us so many girl bosses. Um, I'm eternally grateful for that because I, 
I am a girl boss enthusiast. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Lorna does, um, in part two, she's talking to that woman and the woman is like, you have sharp teeth. And Lorna's like, yeah, I do. And she, she like actually like growls, I think. Um, that was something that I was really, I was really grateful for that actually. <laughs> I had to, I played it like four times. <laughs> After I was like, did she just growl? Anyways, um, besides the point, she did, she, Lorna, Lorna D does have sharp teeth. Um, she is Twi'lek and traditionally Twi'lek males sharpen their t- teeth and women don't. So the significance of her doing that she is taking something from her own culture um, that is a traditionally male thing to do. And she does do it to herself. And the only really um, interactions we see between her and the men and her own like people, the men of her people in her flashbacks are with her father and Bala. And I feel like that was very intentional um, because those were both men who, ju- and her brother, that's true too. But really those two men, um, because they both were people who didn't listen to Lorna and who like shoved her to the side. And so she took something from that, you know, and she made it her own. She did say she, to the woman when she was talking to her, she said, I didn't always look like this. And then she said, she does go on to say, I, I didn't always sound like this. None of us did. Do you have any thoughts on that? The scene where she first talks about having sharpened her teeth was was really the moment for me where, because it's pretty clear from the beginning, it's like, okay, this is going to be a story about a woman who is trying to sort of overcome what it means to be a woman in the society where she comes from and everything that she's been through. But that was the scene where it hit me how like, blatantly obvious it was that that's what this story was about and was going to be about and then from the rest of it forward everything that happened I was like yeah absolutely this fits into that theme um and it was just like it wasn't what I expected going into it like I didn't expect to have such a like emotional reaction to everything that happened in it from a perspective of like listening to it and being a woman and being like so many of like her experiences with men are like very real things that people can relate to when listening to this obviously under very different circumstances but the underlying theme is something that is very relatable um but that scene in particular was the scene that really like hit me in the face with it and I was like oh wow this is what the theme and the message of this whole story is right I feel like it's a because it's like set in the Star Wars universe and we're reading it in a place that is not that you know she the hardships that she goes through are foreign to us but the the feeling of betrayal and oppression by men is something that feels very familiar and reading it or listening to it you're like I really like feel for her because these things you know especially when she's she's victimized by men through her entire life, through the entire um, audio drama. And it keeps happening. And her distrust of men, she doesn't trust anyone, but you can really see it with the male characters. Because when you meet Seston, she's like, oh, I don't trust people. But then 
she does trust Esten. She talks to her and they're, they connect very easily. So she, her distrust of men feels familiar because it's, she always sees the same person in each of the men that she meets. She, there's even a line, I think she says, you're all the same. You all feel like you're above us. I don't think that's the exact line, but that's like what it boiled down to. You have power over us. That was something that felt like I, I was like, wow, like this is a, this message that this is spreading is supposed to be for the woman reading this. This was not an, like everyone can enjoy the audio drama, obviously, but I do believe that Kevin Scott did write this for the women who are listening because that's a very like personal message to send, you know, that this is someone who has been victimized by men her entire life and doesn't trust them and sees the same man in every single man she meets. That's a familiar feeling for people who have been oppressed at the hands of men. Yeah, absolutely. I just like, Gavin Scott has my whole heart for writing this story and writing it as well as he did. It's something that could have so easily not been done well or been done in like a half-hearted way, but he really went all out with it and put the message right there. So like anyone listening would be able to pick up on it. Like you don't have to dig for it. It's right there. It's right there. So yeah, I'm just really, really grateful to him for writing this story and just giving like, so much depth to Lorna's character it's something that I never really expected to get with her honestly from the beginning um and then after listening to this I was really taken aback by just how how well written she is as a character so true I did not expect going into this being like yeah I'm gonna really relate to Lorna D this like murderer (laughs) um and then you know, reading it, I was like, wow, I'm like really emotional right now. I mm-hmm. really feel for her and I feel very connected to her. Um, so yeah, Kevin Scott, you're awesome. Thank you for this. And yeah, I think I even said something like when I was reading it the first time, I was like, wow, Kevin Scott really did that. Like he really took the time to thoroughly think through every single character that he was writing and make sure that none of them were poor representations of women. And there are a lot of bad women in this in this book, but none of them have there none of them have harmful stereotypes to women. They're all just villains who happen to be women. Um, and that was something that I was truly not expecting. I I was nervous going in. Um, but yeah, it was great the whole thing. I didn't think there was a single part of it that I was like, ooh, that is probably not something that you should write about a woman. Yeah, I never had that. It's very refreshing to read. Another thing that helps with that is just every character, even characters that are just there for a little bit and we don't see that much of, we're well, we're well developed. Like no character in this felt two-dimensional to me. They all felt very unique. They all had their own identity. And like every character in this, even just minor characters was very interesting to me. And so when you put that all together and have a story like the one that Kevin Scott is telling in this, it just made it so, so good. So good. I love Kevin Scott. (laughs) Anyways. Yeah. In conclusion, Kevin Scott, I owe you my life. 
I yeah, for, maybe forgive you for writing Rising Storm. <laughs> I maybe forgive you for um, killing Lord and Great Storm. Yeah. <laughs> and making me go through that. Maybe mm. it's a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> Just some little things about about Tempest Runner. Uh, Porter Angle, my beloved, is mentioned in this, and I didn't realize it until like the second time listening to it. But uh, Orla Hess is like captured by him and that's why she's in prison um and I think it was Sesson who said it she was like yeah have you ever heard of the Blade of Bardota and um Lorna D's like oh yeah oops I have and then I was I had to pause it I was literally like yeah you have because you sent your tempest there to Elfrona where he was stationed at and then you captured Loading Great Storm. Um, thanks for that, Lorna. <laughs> but yeah, that was a moment where I literally had to pause and be like, I hate how this is all connected. <laughs> like, I love it, but also, like, I need to go to therapy because of it. Yeah, yeah. We had a lot of epic, like, Jedi appearances in this one. I mean, Keeve and Skier are obviously the big one. They play a pretty big part at the beginning. And I was, like... I was very, very excited to see them there. Um, we also have Buri and Nib, love them. Even Avar at the beginning, love that woman. Any little Avar content makes me so happy. Um, yeah. And so just the way that everything else kind of ties into this and you get little references to other things here and there. I mean, that's the thing about the High, High Republic as a whole is everything is connected, even if it's just a character being mentioned in an adult novel who we've seen in a middle grade novel or something like that I always get so excited like in adult novels when they'll mention like Vern or Imri I'm like oh my god I know them and it's like this whole thing <laughs> where I just love how everything even though like different parts of the High Republic have different characters that they focus on all of it really comes together and all these characters interact even briefly like we get brief interactions between characters from different novels and those are like the things that make me so excited about reading and listening to these books. The every, every, how everything is connected is really just awesome. I think that this audio drama really tied in um, the High Republic comics to the rest of like the series. Not that they're completely separate um, at all, but um, it, it really did tie in, especially with Keeve, because we don't really see her in anything else um, in Skier. We got to see a little bit of Skier and his dark moments. Um, Lorna D. <laughs> Lorna D. calling Avar Lady at the beginning was something that I didn't know that I needed. And then it happened. And now I'm thinking about it again. And I'm like, they're about to fight in the next issue of the High Republic. Um I need that again. <laughs> yeah, re-listening to that scene now with the knowledge that they're going to be fighting and with the way that the last issue of High Republic ended, I felt crazy. I was like, something something about the two of them interacting in any way, but specifically the way that they do interact feels very personal to me. <laughs> so true. I think also I'm why I'm really excited for Lorna D in the future um, in Wave 3 and this upcoming comic issue is because of how her and Avar Chris have interacted 
even if they like they haven't like been together very much one other thing through like reading or through listening to the audio drama is realizing just how powerful Lorna is not just like her mind because her mind is super powerful but just in general how like resilient she is she gets like crushed almost to death twice in this audio drama um yeah that was not fun for me to listen to (laughs) but she she does survive she if Lorna D is really anything she is a survivor she you know we get her background why she's from uh, she was in a military academy you know she's very trained she does have beskar armor which is super yeah. awesome how did she get that? Think about um, that i think about that so much <laughs> yeah like where did that come from anyways um i am worried for the next comic for the for her and avar's fight because i do think even though avar i i do believe that avar is the most powerful jedi ever there's my controversial opinion for the week. Um, but I do think that they're fairly evenly matched, especially if the leveler has a hand in things and Avar is not force sensitive during their fight for some reason. I, I think Lorna would definitely have a chance of winning. Um, even with Avar's use of the force, I think it's going to be a crazy fight. I do not think that it's just going to be like a one and done kind of thing and Lorna's going to be defeated. Their fight is going to be crazy um, just because Lorna's powerful and Avar is powerful. We have two powerful women and that is something that I'm so awesome. That's so awesome. I'm so excited for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, to have like women like them on both sides of this conflict, like we have one being the antagonist and one the protagonist and they like complement each other really well as antagonist and protagonist. Um, it's just something that I don't feel like I see enough in media and it's really, um, interesting to me. And so, but yeah, them, I mean, we see how Lorna fights in Rising Storm and it's crazy. Like she is holding her own so well and like taking people down. And so I'm like, I don't, I don't want them to fight because I love both of them, but it is going to be very fun in a way to see them go up against each other two women who are so powerful and who I love very deeply so true I really I I want them to fight I think that it's actually like really good for the story I think that Lorna's story where it is right now she is at a point where she does need to fight Avar you know she's she's back with the Night Hill she's making a name for herself fighting Avar Chris is going to elevate her status so much. And then we have Avar, who at this point in her story is is on the is on the downhill. You know, she is she's getting she's getting close to that line of mm, questionable thinking, questionable actions, you know. Her fighting uh Lorna D is going to be a turning point no matter what happens. We saw in the last panel of the last comic where she's like, I am not letting her get away again. And she's like holding her ship, pulling it out of the sky. Fantastic of her. Love that. She's so sexy. Anyways, um, but no, she's at a point in her storyline, in her character arc, where she's at the she's at the low. She's going to and she's only going to get lower no matter what happens. Um, Will she still spare Lorna's life? 
if she if it comes down to it I think so however things happen you know things do happen um I don't think Avar is gonna die before the fallen star I think that would be a very interesting choice narratively to have her die before the fallen star especially in uh, a comic when she has been like in, her first, yeah. she was introduced in the very first novel as like arguably the main character but still right. I'm like still bad things could happen and that's another thing I don't think Lorna is gonna die either mm-hmm. just because of the same reason um it would be very interesting for people who are only reading the books to be mm-hmm. like oh she died <laughs> she died off the page like that's weird so that does lead me to believe that either the comic is gonna end before the ending of the battle and then we're gonna get into the fallen star because i think this is the last issue coming up before the fallen star yeah because it's december and then the next one is until like later in january i believe yeah so either that's going to happen or i don't know i really don't know what could happen maybe mm-hmm. lorna gets taken in again um but that's happened already so who knows where it's gonna go but yeah that fight is something that needs to happen narratively uh i'm really excited for it I think it's a really great choice in the storytelling because of where both characters are at in their in their character arc. Yeah, I think it's a really cool choice to have Lorna sort of be Avar's counterpart, like the main person that she's going up against, because the like obvious choice that's right there would have been to have Avar and Martian sort of be butting heads the entire time, but to not have it be Martian, to have it be Lorna, that's another thing that I've been thinking about a lot too is because the Jedi still don't know about Martian they think that Lorna's the eye um and so it's brings this interesting question of whether will he sort of reveal himself at Starlight or after whatever happens on Starlight if he feels that he has been successful there will he like take credit for it will Lorna sort of expose him to them as a way to get herself out of their sights and to change their target to someone else will they find out about him some other way thinking about that a lot and just the way that this relationship between Lorna and Martian is going to play out in the end of this phase because the end of Tempest Runner really sets it up in a very interesting place and they just have a really interesting dynamic throughout the entirety of the series and it sort of comes to a head at the end of Tempest Runner where they have options for how to go about telling the rest of their story as a duo so I'm really curious to see how that's going to work out for them yeah the the Lorna and Martian like connection whatever they have going on right now is definitely something that I hope gets developed on more in the Fallen Star I have a feeling that the Fallen Star is going to cover like a lot so even if it's just like a little conversation, you know, the higher public authors do a really good job of like blending everything together, even though so much is happening, even just like looking at like the rising storm, so much happened in that book. And it wasn't super long. Um, it was long, but it wasn't like crazy. Um, and it, everything felt developed, even though it ended very abruptly. Um, that was obviously intentional. Uh, but yeah, it was... It was great. The other, another thing, um, going kind of back to Lorna and Avar, is Avar's um, guilt about Valo. 
I know we talked about that uh, a few episodes ago, but I think a reason why she is so bent on capturing Lorna in particular is not necessarily because she's the eye um, as she thinks she's the eye. I think it's because Lorna was on Valo and there is footage of everything that happened on Valo. And it's more than likely that Avar saw her there and saw the destruction and the terror that Lorna instilled in everyone. And so she's almost like fixated on bringing this one person to justice because I think, I don't know if Lorne or if Avar actually believes that taking down the eye is going to take down the Nihil. I don't think she actually believes that because while they do think Lorna is the eye, they also have knowledge of like the structure of the Nihil. Um, it's shown in the Tempest Runner that they know there's the three Tempest Runners, the eye, the storms and the strikes. Um, so, I, and they see how like large the Nihil actually is. And how like how their power struggles work. So I don't think that Avar necessarily believes that taking down Lorna is going to take down the Nihil. I think she's just so fixated on Lorna because she feels guilty about not being on Valo. So much to think about there. I was just thinking about how like my biggest fear right now which seems like something they would do which is why I'm afraid of it is that Fallen Star is going to end on some like sad dramatic cliffhanger and I'm just going to have to suffer until we find out more because they do they do love to do that to us um I don't know what it would be but it there's so many possibilities and I'm really really not looking forward to having to finish that book and sit with whatever happens yeah I think also like I'm very curious to see when Midnight Horizon takes place if it's like um phase or if it's like wave one and the young adult book takes place at the exact same time that's gonna be very interesting because we know that Wreath and Comac are in it, which means they're not on Starlight. And from everything coming out right now, it does seem like all of the Jedi have, or at least all the Jedi that we know of, have been called to Starlight. Um, Just like going off of kind of like the little things we've been getting recently, uh, which have been a lot and have been filling my brain. Anyways, they, (laughs) they have, unless it's like wave two, in which Out of the Shadows took place after the Rising Storm, that's another thing. Because then we do know that the Nihil are going to be present in Midnight Horizon. So if it does take place after um, the Fallen Star, we know that the Nihil were not defeated and that they are still very much present in the lives of these characters. And um, so that's something to you know be terrified about is that the Nihil are not defeated and that people are going to die. Um, not, I don't want to say in vain because we don't know if that's going to happen, but you know, if someone sacrifices themselves for the, for the good of the Jedi and the Republic and the Nihil are still very much um, reigning terror on the galaxy, that's going to hurt. That's going to be very upsetting and emotional. So... <laughs> Yeah, it makes me feel genuinely insane to think about the way that I believe all of 
everything that comes out in like January and February, it's going to be this crazy collision of things because we have this group of characters from the High Republic comics. We have the High Republic Adventures comics. We have like Vern and Imri who are mainly from the middle grade novels. We have the Firebrands from the adult novels. And it is looking like that is all going to finally come together where like almost everyone is going to be either on Starlight or dealing with some fallout of whatever happens on Starlight. We also, those fun little comic covers and descriptions have been haunting me genuinely. Like the one that, I mean, obviously the one about Hero of Hetzalt murder, mm -mm. but the another one that is scaring me is just the Eye of the Storm issue two description, which just says something about like a job well done. And, and so in the cover. The cover? Yeah, are you talk yeah. about that cover? <laughs> <laughs> that cover. I wow. Something else. They the way that I was like, my first reaction is like, they have to know what they're doing here. And then Charles is like, we knew this was intentional, guys. Whatever you're feeling because of this cover is intentional. And I was like, you guys totally know. You totally know what we all think. <laughs> not to be like a Mark simp on Maine, because I'm not, but like. But that cover, than, yeah. <laughs> that cover is so, so crazy. What? why am I on a chain? Like, why am I the reader <laughs> yeah, the on a chain? The perspective of that artwork was truly something. I just... <laughs> Yeah, I was, Yeah, no. that made me feel insane. And it was like accompanied with so much other stuff. I was like, you could have just released this cover and I would have needed like yeah. a week to recover <laughs> in combination Monday with everything else. Yeah, going back to just like the, how everything is going to like fit together in the next wave of, in wave three, we're going to have, first we're having the, uh, the Fallen Star and then Mission to Disaster. And then our two comic issues, um, High Republic Adventures and High Republic. And I think we're also getting Trail of Shadows too. And then the Midnight Horizon does come out on February 1st. So it's pretty much January. Like it's really mm -hmm. all in that one month. Um, also, Book of Boba Fett will be coming out too at the same oh my time. Gosh. <laughs> I'm going to become such a problem. Everything uh, yeah. is happening at once. I feel so bad for anyone who has to interact with me for like the entire month of January it is going to be absolutely insane um but yeah I'm excited to see I'm hoping we're gonna get you know the um a crossover of characters in all of the books um I have a feeling that we're going to see a lot of um like our middle grade novel kids in uh the adult novels I'm not sure about Wraith and Comac. I don't think that they're going to be in the Fallen Star just because they're in, they're probably going to be the main characters of Midnight Horizon. Although uh, Daniel Jose Older did say that there are multiple POV characters in Midnight Horizon. Um, looking forward to that. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I see Zine Rala. <laughs> yeah, Midnight Horizon is like, I, I have no idea what to expect from that book. Like Fallen Star, it's like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I can guess the overall premise based on the cover right. and like what we know about it. Midnight Horizon, 
I don't know who's going to be in it, what they're going to be doing, when it takes place. I don't have any information. And now we have the little Nihil masquerade thing. I'm like, how is that going to fit in? Yeah, that Nihil masquerade. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) I just like, I feel personally attacked by it, to be honest. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, this was very personal to me um anyways yeah no that's gonna be great I hope Lorna's there I hope Nan is there not to do this again but some theories (laughs) some theories (laughs) um I do now believe that Nan is going to pass away um in wave three I don't know how it's going to happen I do believe it's going to happen and I'm not looking forward to it I'm just not (laughs) Um, she probably will pass away in Midnight Horizon. She has been in both of the uh, young adult novels. So I have a feeling she's going to be in this one. You know, she definitely has things to do. Um, so, yeah, please don't kill Nan. I would be really upset. <laughs> I'll be really upset. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nan, I definitely think will be in Midnight Horizon. Um because just Wreath and Nan's stories have been kind of intertwined from the very beginning. And so where there's Wreath, there's probably going to be Nan as a major antagonist, especially if it takes place after Fallen Star. I feel like Martian is kind of going to go off and have his little like vacation era after whatever shit he pulls on Starlight, if it goes well for him, which it's looking like it's going to, unfortunately. Um, so I think that it. maybe he'll take a little bit of a break or something although he never really does take a break so maybe not but I don't think that he'll be a major villain in Midnight Horizon plus just based on like the young adult novels so far Martian is never really a huge part of those but Nan definitely is so yeah the Nihil Masquerade I have been thinking about that I've been thinking about about Nan at the Nihil Masquerade since that poster came out um yeah that's just something so important to me do you think that oh not to no no (laughs) you don't even know what I was going to say Mm. I was going to say do you think that wreath and nan are gonna kiss on the mouth in this book Ew. that's what I was saying I didn't want it to happen (laughs) I hated it it was an intrusive thought but I had to share it I hate that that would be very upsetting Although I do kind of, not, not that, nothing in that, but I think, I think it would be cool if it's like, if the Jedi have to go like undercover at the Nihil Masquerade. (laughs) That's what I've been thinking about. Thinking about Wreath and Nan at the Nihil Masquerade right now. In order for that to work, the Jedi would have to have masks, obviously, so they wouldn't even know it was each other and they could like dance together or something. (laughs) Ew, yucky. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't want it to happen. I I do. I sound like I want it to happen. I don't. Um, I do want Wreath to have his first kiss, though. I think that's really cute. Yeah. Um, As, he's although it would be really, yeah, it would be really funny if he's like, I can't wait to have my first kiss, and then it's with Nan, and then it's with Nan, and he doesn't know until afterwards, yeah. and he's like, wait, no. <laughs> he's yeah. like, master, something terrible just happened to me. Comax, oh, like you kissed a girl. <laughs> I know. I fully thought that you were gonna say. Um, I wonder if Crix is going to be at the Nihil Masquerade. And I was like, yeah. disgusting. <gasps> what if, <laughs> what if 
What if Lila and Zine are at the Nihil Masquerade and Crix is also at the Nihil Masquerade? <laughs> I also want to know like who's hosting it. Um, yeah. That's information I would like to have. It's probably maybe like, it's like Lorna and Chansey. That's what I was gonna say. I was like, maybe that would be really it does seem like something she would do. So yeah, I hope we see Sylvester again. I Sylvester and Jordana manifesting that they make an appearance in Wave, but in a way where I'm not worried about their safety. Like just right. a little checking in on them, see uh, how they're doing. Yeah, I don't want to worry for them anymore. I don't want to yeah, worry I'm, for anyone anymore. <laughs> if anything happen to either of them but specifically Jordana I would go to the dark side I can't <laughs> take it yeah <laughs> something that I think could potentially happen oh my god I just had a theory <laughs> in my brain oh my god so at the end of mission to disaster right which I'm assuming is going to take place at the exact same time as the fallen star Martian Rowe kidnaps Vernestra and then in Midnight Horizon, they find out, and that's why they are infiltrating the Nihil Masquerade. Is this gonna happen? <laughs> the way I'm like, I don't want Vern to get kidnapped, but that scenario is so powerful. Also, then the idea of like Comac and Reef like adopting Imri temporarily while they try to because I fu- I do fully think that Martian is going to get a hold of Vern, especially now that she has this path, she has these hyperspace abilities. I think that he is going to want to get her, whether he'll succeed, I don't know. But if he does, because Comac and Reef would absolutely be the ones to be like, we're going to go after Vern, and Imri would be like, I'm coming too. And they've already Ooh. been introduced, like literally the whole last young adult novel was Vernestra and Imri's, like setting up Vernestra and Imri's relationship to Comac and Reef. This is such a powerful theory. Like this is this is a good this is a theory that I would want to as long as it ends with them getting burned back right like I fully support this I'm so shocked that my brain just like thought of that it's a really good moment my biggest fear is Martian trying to Mari Santecify Vern and make her the new like navigator because he is he's gonna be getting very desperate but I just that that cover of him he looks so unbothered what does yeah. he know that I don't he is literally he's just like on starlight like walking his dog that's yeah. literally what he's doing and everyone's just dying because of it I hate him I literally hate Mark so much Mark my enemy literally my enemy yeah and we do know okay Continuing with the theory, actually, we do know that Vernestra and Imri are going up against the Nihil because Avon was probably captured by them in Mission mm-hmm. to Disaster. Oh my god. There was I- also something about um how Avon got shot in a laboratory. So I'm ah. like, do you mean like one of Martian's scary evil laboratories? Or what I'm thinking is like she was working on the lightsaber thing oh, and yeah. then Nihil attacked and then saw what she was working on and were like we need her and then they stunned her that's what I what think. if because we have the scary anti-lightsaber machine that like at the end of Rising Storm they were kind of like Lorna does find or like the Nihil do find out about it and they're like we want this mm-hmm. I'm thinking like because there was a whole uh, one of the plot points in the Rising Storm was like knowing how to like build and operate that so if it became like damaged or something, but they got a hold of Avon and they're like, 
take Avon to whatever their little planning site is near Starlight. And then once Vernon and Imri get to Port Hayley and find out that's what happened. And then that's how the two of them end up on Starlight. <laughs> and then and then Vernesha gets captured by Mark because she has the path and he figures it out. And then Comac and Wreath and Imri have to try to get her back in Midnight Horizon. Because, and they go to the Night Masquerade and then they see Nan. I just, I think we just literally figured out the plot of, of wave three. If anything remotely resembling that happens, I'm going to be gonna such go, a menace. I'm, I'm going to be like, guys, insane. this was all us. Yeah, because something about Avon working for the Nihil, like, against her will, especially because she's so young, if they're, like, threatening her, she's going to, she's not really going to have a choice because she's so young. Avon's mom is also a senator, though. She might be the one to, if Sylvester and Jordana are going to be there, she might be the one to involve them since she knows them now after Out of the Shadows. I feel crazy. Okay, if this doesn't happen, I'm going to be, I'm going to be shocked, actually. I'm going to be like, Mm -hmm. whoa, we just thought of the perfect plan. Wave three is going to be insane. And like, there's also this looming thing of like, we know things have to go downhill from here. Like, this is the peak. I need to make, like, a tier list of, like, how much I would get killed if a character died. Like, rank them from, like, yeah, this person could die, whatever, to, like, I would never recover. I need to make a ranking. (laughs) I would be in bed for a week if the bad ones die. Um, Yeah, Imri in particular, that's gonna be one that would- Oh, I can't. If anything happens to Imri. If the leveler looks at Imri, yeah, if the leveler I will start is swinging near him. <laughs> Me and the leveler will be having a showdown if if it gets anywhere near Imri. Me and Mark will be fighting. I Mark already I- he's on thin ice after yeah. they captured Imri and Out of the Shadows. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely not. The way that they were like Vernon Comac are here too, but let's take Imri and Wreath. You know, in general, Mark is gonna get is gonna get slapped in the face by me. Yeah, I'm just he's he's done too much. He has mm-hmm. done too much. He when he killed Loden, basically, um, that was like, I'm gonna kill you, Mark. And mm-hmm. then anything else? If this is what my biggest fear is, I do think, uh, I do think that the Elfrona squad is gonna get Rogue One. It's already started. Because You're so right, though. I know I'm hurt, right. Because, because all of them die. are on my list of people that I think might die. Yeah, they are all on my list. Because Porter's definitely dying. I hate it, but but it's coming. And then Indira. Indira. Mm-mm. She's <laughs> I think it's either going to be Nibba Seek or Indira Stokes. Like, either yeah. one of them. I don't know. They could just both die. You know, they could. Claudia Gray could do that. I hope she doesn't. <laughs> um, or they're getting Rogue One, except it's like Ex- yeah, that Bell. No, see, not get these thoughts out of your head now. If the entire Alfrona squad dies, including Bell, mm-hmm. but Ember lives, I need to leave. <laughs> I just, I really need to see Ember again, just for like some reassurance that she's all right because we mm-hmm. haven't seen her, and I'm worried about her so if she could just make like a quick appearance yeah just or like a name drop where someone's like oh I saw Ember yesterday yeah I was like yeah they're not gonna kill Ember but they did kill 
Emery's little pet thing in a test of courage. Like, uh, hate to admit it, but I fully cried. I did yeah. cry over that little monkey. <laughs> no, so did I. I was like, this is- Wasn't its was- name Cheery, too? It I think was. It was. <laughs> that might have been why I was so emotionally attached to it. <laughs> That's so upsetting. I'm so upset right now. Emery's the, like, out of everyone- Emery's the one character where I'm like, if I could just take a character and like get them away from this and like yeah. protect them, it would be Emery. I'm just thinking about because like Mark fully like had Emery or like almost had Emery and Wreath. The idea of Emery having to go through anything what like what Loden went through. You know oh what? Oh my god. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> oh my gosh thinking about dark side Avar right now I really think that she's going to turn the dark side like what we were talking about with like how her and Lorna's storylines are like perfectly matched up right now for them to fight Lorna is just yeah. getting worse and Avar is getting worse like she's mm-hmm. going to fall like actually Lorna in her eyes is getting better like she's like her her ascent into power is like growing and then there's Avar whose descent into the dark side is it's it's getting there. She's getting there. Um, I am like she's my number one contender for who is turning to the dark side. I don't yeah, really absolutely leave anymore. I think she's gonna leave because we know Keeve leaves the Jedi Order. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think that she's going to leave because Avar is gonna turn to the dark side. Something like that or Skier. I feel like something like could happen with Skier. Oh, uh, I just had a horrible thought. No. This is so bad and evil, and I do not think they would do it, but it exists. Um, if they're, like, in the heat of battle and Skier, because they keep throwing Skier into, like, high-stakes um, situations, and then he has little dark side moments and, like, does, and, like, goes on his little, like, violence sprees. What if Avar killed Skier? No. No. <laughs> no. Or, like, is about to, because it says, could Keeve trying to stop whatever Avar from making a... Oh, my God. That is, that is literally why Keeve would leave. It's because, because, okay, so in, in Dooku Jedi Lost, I'm pretty sure the line is, like, we failed her about Keeve. Someone not watching out for Avar, and then Avar killing, like, Skier... That would make that would be the Jedi Order failing Keeve. I'm telling you, it's the she is all that matters and its consequences <laughs> and its consequences. So, especially yeah. when Avar was like, once there's darkness in someone, it, it never goes away. But the implications did. of her stopping Skier by like killing him or nearly killing him and then her turning to the dark side and then it never leaves her. Oh my god, if Avar, when Anakin fell, like Ahsoka knew, Elzar and Stellan would know immediately, and even more so because Avar has such a strong connection to other Jedi, if she, like, used the dark side, even for a moment, I feel like they would know. What would happen if she, like, was connected to all of them, like, all the Jedi, and she turned to the dark side? What, like that force bond is made of light you know and then it turns dark everyone and then all the jedi feed off of each other like that's a thing that they do that's what literally happened to imri is imri fed off of honesty's anger 
and honesty's like grief. And that's why Amory had his dark side moment. Avar being connected to everyone oh, in the dark side. I was thinking a few days ago, because after she said that line about like, once there's darkness in someone, it never truly goes away. And I was thinking like, imagine being her being around someone who has used the dark side and always having to hear that in them and like it's not a problem with skier because he's not like in tune with the forest so much anymore so she said like she can't really hear his song anymore but what about elzar elzar used the dark side if Avar and they can, like, haven't they haven't been together since they so have we don't not- know how much Avar like how much Avar will be able to hear that from him constantly like I was thinking if she's anytime she's around him if she can just feel the that darkness it could slowly add up with everything else going on for her okay so so there's been a lot of talk on like Twitter on High Republic Twitter about like why no one in the prequel era has that ability to connect to all the Jedi what if it's like a it's like so dangerous because Avar turned to the dark side while connected to everyone and once the darkness stays in someone it's always there because this all has to lead up to some big event where you're like this is why the Jedi were downhill from there Avar could be that and I think it's going like at the start of it because there are three phases I think the last phase is going to be like the, the like nail in the coffin of why the Jedi are so awful not awful but like not the higher yeah. Jedi in the prequels but I think it's gonna start here I actually yeah. think it's already started the Jedi like since Valo the Jedi are going downhill also just the idea of general in general of the light of the Jedi being Avar Chris like she mm-hmm. is the light of the Jedi and then for her to be like the fall of them or like at least start the dark side of the Jedi that is so good. That is yeah. so good. As much and as the promo like, line they keep using about the light of the Jedi going dark, because it's like metaphorical, but it could literally be Avar Chris, the light of the Jedi, turning yeah. to the dark side. Thank you so much for listening to Fulcrum Transmissions. Please feel free to send us questions. You can DM them to us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. In next week's episode, we'll be discussing Thrawn Lesser Evil, so feel free to send us questions related to that as well. Once again, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode.